seated. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing there. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. And let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd, and he selected a choice tender calf, and he gave it to his servant, who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set them before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I still have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations will be blessed through him. Amen, amen. What's up, family? How y'all doing? That's good. That's good. Love the energy. Will you bow with me in prayer? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word, which never comes back to you void. Your word, which never ceases to amaze us, which never ceases to be exactly what we need. And Father, today, I pray that this word that you have given me to bring to this community will do the same. I pray that these be your words and not mine. I know that there's somebody in this place that needs the word you've given me to preach today. So I pray, God, that you get me out of the way so that your people can clearly see you. Lord, get this dust of a man out the way. I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer. All who agree with that said, amen, amen, amen. What up, family? How y'all doing? I'm excited to be with y'all today. Um, Pastor Logan has been a great friend of mine. We've known each other for years. Um, and so I'm honored that he let a crazy dude like me come down from Harlem 
to share God's word with y'all. And, um, and your pastors are incredible, by the way. Can we give your pastors some love? Like they, they're, they're, they're incredible. They've made me uh, feel at home. The hospitality has been amazing. And do you guys want to make me feel at home too? Okay, well, here's how you can do it. As you can see, I'm a caramel preacher. Right. And so I come up from a tradition of preaching uh, with sermons of dialogues, not monologues. So I want to give you the freedom today to make me feel at home and talk to me. Trust me, you won't throw me off. You won't mess me up. If that's not something you normally do. Don't worry about it. You can do it today and have fun with it. You can shout. You can say amen. You can say ouch if something hits a little too close to home. Um, but, but needless to say, um, I, I need the engagement. Amen. I got insecurity issues, so y'all can pray for me. Um, so when Pastor Logan reached out to me, he told me that you guys were coming out of a series where the theme was redemption through relationships. I like that one, by the way. Yeah. Ouch. And I like that, by the way. I might steal that one. So if y'all see that on, on the gathering, right, a sermon series going redemption through relationships, y'all know y'all blessed us from far, amen. Um, but I decided to play with that theme a little bit today. Um, so the title of today's sermon is Redemption Through Disappointment. Now, that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? I know you're asking yourself, how can disappointment be redeemable? Well, in the passage we just read, we encountered a couple named Abraham and Sarah. And this couple isn't just an ordinary couple. These two literally carry within their bodies the promise of God. They carry in their bodies the hope of the world. Earlier in the book of Genesis, God called this man named Abraham from everything that he knew. And he promised him that through his seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In other words, in Abraham's body, he carried the hope of the world. But everything isn't all promises and blessings in Abraham's household at this point in Genesis 18. By the time we get to this text, Abraham and Sarah are a deeply disappointed couple. It's been well over 30 years since God made his original promise to them. And guess what? They're still childless. They are both close to 100 years old, and they're both jaded and disappointed. I know there's somebody in this place today that can relate to that. I know they're not the only jaded and disappointed people in this room today. Amen? But disappointment, family, is universal. It's ubiquitous, and it's unsettling. It it attacks our identity. It convinces us that we're unworthy of love and dignity. And before we know it, disappointment gives birth to discouragement. Discouragement gives birth to disbelief. And when disbelief is fully grown, it becomes despair. But there's something I want to press on y'all today from this story. Disappointment only becomes discouragement when we think our problems are greater than our praise. Oh, see, I missed that one. (laughs) Disappointment only becomes discouragement when we think our problems are greater than our praise. See, your disappointment doesn't have to lead to despair. You know that today, right? LMCC, y'all know that, right? Your disappointment doesn't have to lead to... In fact, despair is a choice. The Lord shows us in this passage that he's not only close to the disappointed, but he dignifies the disappointed. So I want to explore today's theme in three ways. Y'all ready? The first is, I want to talk about humility through disappointment. Secondly, I want to talk about hospitality through disappointment. And last, I want to talk about renewed hope through disappointment. So first, humility through disappointment. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. 
Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. I love how this passage begins. Look at what it says. The Lord did what? Appeared to Abraham. In other words, despite Abraham's disappointment and in the face of Abraham's doubt, God doesn't send a message or a messenger. God comes himself. Now, I don't know what you came in today believing about this God that we're talking about in this text. I don't even know all the ways you feel unseen, unheard, and unimportant today. But what I can tell you is this. The God of the Bible is a God that seeks out and finds the disappointed, the discouraged, and the disbelieving. And he reveals himself to them. God appears to Abraham, which is important for the disappointed today because it means even when you're not seeking God, guess what? He's still seeking you. That's what it means. This passage is what theologians call a theophany. The, what is a theophany? It's a big theological word. All it means is a theophany is a momentary visitation by God to a human being for a given task or purpose. That's all it is. But the location of this theophany is important. That's what I want to talk about. Because Abraham at this point is living where? By the Oaks of Mamre, Right? This is where he and his nephew Lot decided to settle after, you know, they had some beef with their tribe. So, so Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen had a little beef, you know, in Harlem, we call that beef. So, so they was beefing a little bit and, and they had too many possessions and, and they wasn't getting along. Now, Lot is Abraham's nephew. So Abraham was like, that's my nephew. I got love for him. You know, his, his, his herdsmen, Abraham's herdsmen was trying to ride out on Lot and Lot was, Abraham was like, no, no, that's my nephew. I got love for him. But listen, Lot, we're going to have to split because there's, there's too much tension here. We, our, our possessions are too great. See, Abraham wasn't poor. Abraham wasn't broke. Abraham had a lot of possessions. And his possessions were too great. He says, our possessions are too great, so we're going to have to split up. So Lot decides to go down by the Jordan Valley to this place, near this place called Sodom. That doesn't work out too well for Lot, but that's another sermon, right? <laughs> Your pastors, maybe they'll bring me back to preach that one. But as a result, Abraham decides to stay in the area that he was currently at, which is by the Oaks of Mamre. And in Genesis 13, 17, Abraham builds an altar to the Lord there. Why is that important? Here's what it means. It means when God appears to Abraham by the Oaks of Mamre, he doesn't just appear in any old kind of way, at any old kind of place. He appears to Abraham in the place of worship that Abraham had created to meet with God at. See, sometimes in your life, in the midst of your disappointments and letdowns, the most defiant thing you can do is go to a house of worship. It's the most defiant and resistant thing you can do. Disappointment always wants to rob you of your worship. It wants to steal the praise right off your lips. But let Psalm 34, 1 be your psalm of resistance, family. Look at what it says. I will praise the Lord at all times. Not when it's good. Not when I got that job, not when I found my spouse, not when I'm, when I'm not single anymore, not when I'm out the friend zone. I will praise the Lord <laughs> at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Amen. But here's what I want to press on you before we move on from this point. I want to look at the humbleness of Abraham in this text. 
Look at what the text says. It says Abraham is cooling out in the heat of the day. I like this. Abraham is chilling. He's in front of his mobile home, a.k.a. his tent, right? So he's in front of his mobile home. He's chilling. And all of a sudden, he looks up, and he sees three men standing there chilling. He's like, whoa, hold up. Like, whoa, what? where did these people come from? Now, the text doesn't give us much more than that. But either these men were dressed real fly, kind of like your boy. You know, they was, they was real fly. Or they carried themselves like they were important. Or probably the fact that they were just standing there in the heat of the day, chilling in ancient Palestine, (laughs) convinced Abraham that these dudes are about that life. (laughs) I need to get to know them. Regardless of the reason, as soon as Abraham sees these men, he sprints down to them. And what does he do? He bows down and pays homage. Now, this is powerful because Abraham runs in dead sprint in the hottest part of the day to a group of strangers he doesn't know, and he honors them. This type of behavior was unheard of from a patriarch. Y'all know that, right? In the ancient world, men of high social status like Abraham didn't run anywhere, much less to bow down and pay homage to a group of strangers. But Abraham is so humbled at this point that he doesn't care who's watching or what they think or, or, or how they'll judge him. He's not concerned about social taboos and social standards. He's not worried about dignifying himself or having it all together. He's disappointed and he's desperate. And all of those tertiary things go out the window. See, you, you, you know you're down and out when you, you, you're not afraid to break a taboo or a standard. You know you're down and out where your, 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 your praise and your, your actions are no longer judged by what other people's gaze is might say what other people might think abraham doesn't care anymore he pulls up his loins and he sprints and he pays homage and look the proof is in verse three abraham says if i have found favor in your eyes my lord do not pass your servant by i like this because abraham is like yo if i found favor with you you'll kick it with me for a while just stay for a little bit the fact that abraham calls him lord and calls himself a servant, doesn't mean Abraham knows this is God. We're the only ones that know that this is the Lord. Abraham has no clue. None of the characters in the text yet have any clue that this is God. But it does mean that he knows that this isn't an average Joe. No offense if your name is Joe, by the way. (laughs) But even with that being said, this is still a remarkable request, family. There's no hubris in this request. There's There's no haughtiness in this request. There's only humility. Here was a man in Abraham whose body was the body of promise. And yet he has enough honesty and humility to know that he is nothing without grace and favor. See, y'all missed that one. In a city like ours, in a room like this, with a bunch of talented and accomplished people, we tend to forget this truth. We work, we strive, we achieve goals, we hit milestones, we master adulting. You know, that's the thing, right? Adulting. We master adulting. But don't be fooled, family. You're always, you're always, you're always in desperate need of God's grace and favor. Don't you ever think, I don't care how far you've gotten in life. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care what you've accomplished. You got there because God took your little nothing and put his something on it. That's how you got there. You had a little nothing and God put his something on it. Amen. See, Abraham's humbled. He's humbled because he's disappointed. And family, don't underestimate then the power of disappointment. Don't underestimate that power of that feeling that you have right now, of loneliness, of abandonment, of letdown, 
a frustration. Don't underestimate that. There's a new Gatorade commercial that just came out. Features some of the best athletes of our day. Maybe y'all seen it. But the, the theme of the commercial is what's your fuel? Have y'all seen that one? Oh, man, I missed that. That's a great commercial. YouTube that later. <laughs> what drives you is the question that that commercial is asking. What inspires you? What inspires these great athletes to push through these heights that most only dream about? How do they get over the hump? And you know consistently what the answer is for all of them? Disappointment. Disappointment. Michael Jordan talks about getting cut from his high school basketball team in this commercial. Serena Williams talks about losing one of the biggest upsets in tennis history in this commercial. Matt Ryan, the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, talks about blowing that huge Super Bowl league to Tom Brady and the Patriots. I'm I'm still not over that one. I'm still, still working through that one right there. Y'all pray for me. But their failure, the point of that is, their failure is fuel. Their disappointment is dynamite. You can light it, and it can explode into new life in your life. See, the humility that comes from disappointment forces you to acknowledge your limitations. And there is nothing a room like this needs more than anything than to be brought face-to-face with our limitations. Because when you're brought face-to-face with your limitations, you know what's on the other end of that? You know what's on the other side of that wall? The God without limitations. So I'm going to move on. That leads me to my second point. Hospitality through disappointment. So after Abraham asks these heavenly house guests to stay with him for a while, he says, let a little water be brought. Then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me give you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. Abraham deploys, y'all, a very, very important biblical ethic here. You know what it is? It's the ethic of hospitality. It's a beautiful gift from God. See, disappointment defeats us. Here's how. It defeats us because it drives us to isolation. When we're disappointed, when we're let down, what is the first thing we tend to do? Isolate. But look what it did to Abraham. It didn't drive him to isolation. It drove him to invitation. He says, let me bring a little water to wash your feet. Let me put some food in your belly. So you can be refreshed and then y'all can go on about your way. In other words, Abraham says, despite what I'm feeling, despite my frustration, despite how, how I could tell you what's really going on with me, let me not talk about me. Let me do something for you. Let me do something for you. How can I serve you? Not what, how can you serve me? How can I serve you? And in Abraham's day, it was common for a host to provide water for people's dirty feet. Y'all know the feet were dirty back in the days. Like you wouldn't want to be giving manicures to people back in them days. Them, them, they didn't have no, the roads weren't paved, them feet was dirty. And so he, he said, yo, let, let me put some water, let me bring some water for your feet. It was customary to provide food for people's hungry stomachs. And if they were traveling long distances, check this, check this one, it was customary to provide accommodations for them to spend the night with you, to stay a while. And it was for free. And y'all thought Airbnb was creating something new, right? <laughs> so y'all thought... Nah, fam, Airbnb actually tapped into something very, very old. 
It's reminded us of our God-ordained calling to be hospitable. That's why Brian Chesky, actually, one of the founders of Airbnb, says this often when he talks. He says, we're not the modern invention. Hotels are. Because welcoming strangers into your home is as old as the oaks of memory. Airbnb hasn't created anything new. Biblically, hospitality simply means loving the stranger. That's exactly what it means. It's a command both in the Old and New Testament because it's deeply connected to a radical encounter with God's grace. We often think hospitality is welcoming somebody into our home, right? But biblically, it's actually so much more than that. You know what hospitality is biblically? It's welcoming somebody into your life, not just into your home. It's opening your life to a stranger. Now, the way, the only way for this kind of generosity to be possible is through experience. There is no way you can just open your life today to a complete stranger unless you were once a stranger. Unless you were once far off and somebody came and did the same for you. And that's exactly who Abraham is. See, when the Lord called Abraham, the Lord was the first one to show Abraham what hospitality looks like. Amen. Because the Lord called Abraham when he was worshiping the stars. No, he didn't want to be a celebrity, but he didn't want the Lord either. Abraham was literally a star worshiper. He was an idolater. And God revealed himself to Abraham as the one true God. And here's what he said. He said, stop looking at the stars and look at me. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I am your very great reward. I am the hope. I am what you seek when you look up. So you ain't look up far enough. You got to look past the stars because that's where I am. And you'll see me there. And I'm calling you to follow me and be mine. In other words, God, God took a star worshiper and promised him to make his descendants as numerous as the stars. Whew. You're talking about radical grace, family. That's, that's something that should got somebody excited. Somebody should just went home and like, all right, y'all. Sermon's <laughs> over now. Praise the Lord. I'm ready. I'm ready for this week. That's it. That kind of grace is spectacular, family. That kind of grace should move you. It should move you right now as we speak. Because God's grace is always undeserved. But see, that's not, it's not good enough. There's a lot of things in life that we get that's undeserved, right? The, the, the police officer that gave you a warning instead of a ticket, that was undeserved. But that doesn't move you. It's not just undeserved. It's over the top. That's what makes God's grace so amazing. It's undeserved and over the top. And I love the Lord's response to Abraham. When Abraham opens up his life for hospitality with God, what does God say? Nah, Abraham, you got too many doubts, bro. Nah, you laughed in my face, actually, in Genesis 7, 17. No, no, actually, Abraham, you lied. You told Pharaoh that Sarah wasn't your wife. No, Abraham, we can keep going. Did the Lord say that? No, the Lord said, cool, I'll kick it with you for a while. It's the kind of God we talk about, y'all. Abraham made room for God to dwell with him despite his disappointment, and the Lord accepted his invitation. Whoo, man. Many of us think that God's trying to play hide and seek with us. That's what we think. We think, especially in the context of disappointments, right? We've prayed about this thing. We've asked God for this thing. We've longed for this thing. We feel like we've done all the right things to get this thing. And we think that Jesus is out here like, you know what? I don't care. Listen, I die for you, so <laughs> the rest is on you. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> right? <laughs> Figure it out. 
But that runs so contrary, family. That runs so contrary to the God we encounter in this text, doesn't it? First, he appears to Abraham, and Abraham doesn't appear to him. Secondly, when Abraham makes sacrifices to accommodate him, the Lord graciously accepts his offer. See, the problem isn't that God doesn't want to dwell with us. The real problem is we haven't made room in our lives for God to dwell with us. That was an ouch moment right there. (laughs) The reason you might feel as though the Lord is far from you in this season is because you're hiding in the Lord's seeking. Have you made the sacrifices that Abraham shows us in his text? Look at what he sacrifices. He gives up comfort. He runs in the heat of the day. What else he does? He gives up ego. He falls face down in submission. He sacrifices what else? Time. He says, Lord, stay with me a while. What else does he give up? He gives Elassie up resources. He sacrifices resources. His pocketbook. He says, give them some milk. Give them some water and give them my best calf. Look, look at what he says. Look, 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 look at the text. So Abraham hurried into the tent and to Sarah and said, quick. He said, get three seers of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd. You know, Sarah's probably like, you, you need to bake this yourself. You know what? <laughs> Disrespectful. I'm chilling. You know how hot it is outside? Talking about bake some bread. What's wrong with you? <laughs> then, he ran, then he ran to the herd and selected a choice and tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds, some yogurt, because curds sound nasty, don't it? He bought some, that, that's yogurt, y'all. That, that was like, I was like, ooh, that's. So he bought some curds and milk and the calf. Yeah, it do, it sound nasty. But he bought some curds and milk in the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Now that's kind of, that, that's how desperate Abraham is though, right? They're eating and he's like standing next to them like, okay, what's going to happen? Like, you know, so, it's a little strange. But when the Lord accepts Abraham's invitation, Abraham runs to Sarah like, yo, girl, have and make some bread. He goes and gets the fattened calf and slaughters it. In other words, he sacrifices resources, not just like a few dollars here and some change there, not, not the kind of resources that jingle, the kind that fold. That's what Abraham sacrificed, the best calf, not that throwaway calf with one lie and a gimpy leg. No, the best calf he sacrificed. Have you given God all of those things? See, before you can say, Lord, why haven't you blessed me like Abraham? You first have to ask the question, have you done what Abraham has done? Have you sacrificed comfort, time, ego, and resources? That's the formula. But then, you know, Abraham gets the best piece of filet mignon. I like that. He sets it before the Lord. You know, the filet mignon was medium well, not medium rare. It wasn't medium rare, y'all. It's nasty. It was medium well. <laughs> It was cooked. It was a little pink. But the picture here of Abraham reveals that disappointment does not rob him of his hospitality. That's what I want you to see today. And that reminds me of something I say often to my congregation in Harlem, and my people could attest to this. And I'm going to say it to you today because I love you. Listen to this, family. The measure of your life is not based on how much you can acquire, but on how much of it you can give away. That's what Abraham teaches us in this text. You want to be great in the eyes of the Lord. You want to be great, then be a servant of all. That's what Jesus says. It's not the word, the, the measure of your life. God's not measuring your life by how far you've gotten in this world. God could care less. He's not impressed. 
He's not impressed by your salary. He's not impressed by your bank account. He's not impressed by where you stay. He's not impressed by your friends, by the relationships you have. You know how you can please the Lord? It's not, it's not about what you can acquire, but how much of it can you give away? Now you're living like Jesus. Abraham shows us that the best way to get over yourself is to do something for somebody else. Ain't that a revolutionary thought? You want to get over what you're going through? You want to get over how you feel right now? You want to get over your disappointment? You want to get over the feelings of abandonment? You want to get over the letdowns? Well, do something for somebody else then. Because you're not the point. Unmet desires don't define you. Unmet desires don't define who you are. You know what does? What you do with them. So that leads me to my third and final point, and I'm out your way. Renewed hope through disappointment. So while the Lord and the angels are busting down this filet mignon, the Lord asks Abraham a peculiar question. Look what he says. Where's your wife Sarah? They asked. Now this question certainly would have perplexed Abraham. You know why? Because this was a deeply misogynistic time in history. Women during this time were essentially invisible. So for these three distinguished heavenly house guests to ask Abraham, the patriarch of the home, where's your wife, would have undoubtedly threw him off. And that's why Abraham was shuffled. He was like, oh, she over there. Like, <laughs> oh, she, she back there. Oh, oh, she right. No, no, Abraham, she's right where you left her. Oh, 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 no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Sarah can cook on command. Oh, don't get me wrong. She can get up from whatever she's doing and bake some bread. Oh, 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 don't get me wrong. She could be seen, but she can't be heard. Oh, 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 don't get me wrong. She could prepare, but she can't participate. She was invisible to Abraham, but not to the Lord. This question from the Lord, where is Sarah, opens up an often overlooked theme in the book of Genesis. And you know what that theme is? Abraham's a great host, but he's not a great husband. First, he goes down to Egypt in Genesis 12 because of a famine. And because of Sarah's beauty, he fears being killed once people find out that she is his wife. So you know what Abraham does? He concocts a plan. He says, you know what? Here's what we're going to do, Sarah, honey. We're going to lie. Right, so when they ask, I'm just going to be like, you're my sister. You're not my wife. That way, my life will be spared. But who cares about you? <laughs> you, got to, you, got to, you got to thug it out, girl, you know. You know, we was, we was going through the famine, so, you know, you know how to do that. You're going to have to fend for yourself, girl. And Pharaoh looks at Abraham's wife, Sarah, and sees her amazing beauty and says, I want that woman to be mine. And he pays Abraham a large dowry to take his wife, who he lies and said is his sister, into his home to be one of his concubines. And it isn't until God afflicts the household of Pharaoh before Abraham finally owns up to the fact that Sarah was his wife. He's like, yeah, dog, you got me. The Lord ain't let me get by. The Lord afflicted you. But where was his faith then? Where was the faith? Where was the man of great faith that we talk about and we idolize? See, Abraham was a man just like us. Look at what else he does. A few years later in Genesis 16, after years of infertility, Sarah pulls Abraham to the side now. 
First it was Abraham in Genesis 12. Now in Genesis 16, after years of infertility, Pharaoh, uh, Sarah pulls Abraham to the side. And, you know, this is how I think Sarah talks. She was like, listen, boo, listen. <laughs> she was like, listen, um, I know that the Lord made this promise and all that. I think Sarah talked like that. She was like, yeah, I know the Lord made this promise and all that, but he moving too slowly. No, the Lord, it's been, it's been all these years, it's been 30-something years. The Lord's, the Lord's just moving too slowly. Just take my African servant, Hagar. Take my African servant. She came from Egypt with them. Take my African servant, Hagar, and get her knocked up so that she can bear the promise seed from the Lord. And you know what Abraham did? Abraham stepped back and was like, nah, babe, we ain't going out like that. You crazy? She, you my one and only girl. What you mean? Please, Abraham looked back. Looked at her, looked at Hagar. He was like, sounds good to me. (laughs) In other words, Abraham, the great model of faith that he was, was also a great model of failure. So knowing Abraham's moral failures, one of the angels speaks prophetically, prophetically into his disappointment and his failure. He says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Listen to this. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. The angel essentially says to Abraham, Abraham, look at me. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forsaken you. I know it's hard. I know you're confused. I know you're frustrated. I know you've seen other people get what you want most. That's some of you today. You're angry. You're frustrated. You've seen other people get what you want most. You feel like God has abandoned you, like God has forgotten you. But God says to Abraham, but I want you to know, brother, I'm coming back this exact time next year. And guess what's going to happen? You want to know what's going to happen in your life, oh, disappointed one? Your pain will become praise. That's what's going to happen. Your doubt will be turned into delight. You thought I'd forgotten you, but the Lord never forgets his promises. And the Lord knew that Abraham wasn't the only one that needed to hear that. Because the text says Sarah was chilling right at the entrance of the tent. Not in sight, but definitely listening. See, the Lord knows that Sarah's barrenness has stripped her of her dignity. He knows that. In the ancient world, a barren woman was as good as dead. The primary function of a woman socially at this point was to carry a child, and that was it. But the Lord doesn't see Sarah's worth bound up in her barrenness. But guess what? In his blessing. To my Sarah's in the room, your worth is not bound up by your barrenness. It's bound up not by the thing that hasn't given birth yet in your life. It's not bound up by the thing that you've wanted but hasn't come to life yet. It's bound up in God's blessing and who he says you are. But there's one problem, this text says. As good as all that is, and the Lord just, you know, the Lord lays it on thick, right? But, but see, this is why I'm saying Abraham and Sarah were just like us. Because we, we can hear a message like that and we can go home and fall right back into the same pattern of disappointment, the same bad behavior, the same bad decisions. We can go right back to that same life. And look at what Sarah does. She says, Abraham and Sarah, the text says, Abraham and Sarah were very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So look at what Sarah says. So Sarah laughed as she thought, after I'm old and worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? So now I'm going to be a mother? I'm 100 years old, bro. 
So now this is going to happen. Now I'm going to get this pleasure? You made me wait all this time, and now you're going to give it to me? Sarah's like, as good as all that sounds, um, there's this thing in a way, y'all might have heard of it, it starts with an R, it's called reality. <laughs> the text says she was very old, meaning Sarah was post-menopause. She was very old. She was post-menopause. Not very old is an understatement. She was almost 100, right? She was post-menopause, a.k.a. Sarah had given up that motherhood dream a long time ago. So there's some things in your life that haven't come to fruition yet, and you've given them up. You've given up on them a long time ago. God might have said that he's going to do it in your life. You might have believed it for a season, but, but, but when things didn't give birth, when things didn't move in your timeline, you just gave up on it. He was like, all right, Lord, it's over. It's dead. So you laugh like Sarah. Sarah laughs, not out loud, but to herself. But this is how you know this is the Lord speaking to her because the Lord heard the laugh. You know the Lord hears your laugh. He knows. Oh, and Sarah's not the only one, by the way, to laugh in God's face. Abraham does the very same thing in Genesis 17, 17, 10 years before this, when God makes the same promise. Both of them are laughing at God. See, on a human level, Sarah had a right to feel that way. She knew that women her age don't have babies. But there's something much deeper driving Sarah's laughter. And I want you to hear this today as we prepare to close. This wasn't a comedic laugh. This was a disappointed laugh. God had promised Sarah a child 35 years before this. She had since seen Abraham give birth to to a baby, to a mistress which further reinforced that it was her that was the problem, not Abraham. And Sarah, at this point, was resigned to die a disappointed and dejected soul. So God was asking her to do something that her heart couldn't fathom. You know what he was asking her to do? To believe again. To hope again. To be in awe again. To be excited about life again. To have joy again. See, Sarah had stopped believing a long time ago. She tried everything to get what God said he would give. She tried everything to get what God said he would give. So she laughs to keep from crying. Some of you are in here today doing the very same thing. You're laughing in life, not because something is funny, but to keep your sanity. You're laughing because you're hiding your disappointment behind your laugh. You're laughing because you've internalized your frustration. You're laughing because you've been, become masterful at projecting and at protecting those little pieces of your broken heart that are left. So you laugh. But listen to God's words to the disappointed today. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything, is anything too hard for the Lord? This one is one of my favorite quotes in the entire Bible. Because literally in the Hebrew, you know what it says? Is anything too wonderful for God? What a question. Is anything, is anything, I don't care what it is right now in your life, is anything too wonderful for God? Family, the power of that rhetorical clapback is life-altering. Because it's a rhetorical clapback. Trust and believe the Lord is clapping back at Sarah's disbelief and doubt. 
See, the reason why we become bitter and broken like Sarah is because we've convinced ourselves that our source of disappointment is something that's just too wonderful for God. Oh, God, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she said to me. You don't know the ways that I've been abandoned and neglected. You don't know what it feels like to not have a parent. You don't know what it feels like to be homeless, to be jobless. You don't know what it feels like to be addicted. You don't know what it feels like to never have a man say you have value unless you're wearing something that he likes. You, you don't know what that feels like, God. You don't know that feeling. Abba family, here's a lesson to learn today, and this one is for free. You take it and you share it. You tweet it and you retweet it and you at me because I need some followers. <laughs> this one's for free. Are you ready? God's delay is never a denial. God's delay, are you ready? It's always for development. Do you know God does his best work in the waiting room? <laughs> if you're in God's waiting room today, you're under construction, trust and believe. Because God's waiting room is not like man's waiting room. You don't go into God's waiting room and sit down and get a ticket. In fact, here's the thing that messes, up, messes us up about God's waiting room. You go into God's waiting room, and, and here's how it messes you up. See, the reason why we like our waiting rooms is we go into our waiting room, we get a ticket, we know when we next, right? And, we, and here's the other thing we know. We know who came in there before us and who came in after us. <laughs> our waiting room theology is, is good, ain't it? We got a good waiting room theology. But here's what the Lord's waiting room is. See, in the Lord's waiting room, he just throws all that off balance. Because in the Lord's waiting room, you could be there waiting, and you could see people coming after you and leave before you. But that's because God ain't done with you yet. Because God is doing a work in you in his waiting room. See, God's delay is never denial. And our God never shortcuts the process of sanctification. But we fret and we think that true wonder comes from getting what we want, when we want it, how we want it. But in reality, true wonder comes from belonging to the God that says, is anything too wonderful for me? I'll tell you, and I'll leave you with this. You know what should leave you in awe today? It shouldn't be success. It shouldn't be marriage. It shouldn't be children. It shouldn't even be helping others. You know what should give you the most awe in your life? That a way has been made not just for you, but for all of creation to return, be renewed, and be in relationship with a God that calls disappointed women daughters and stargazer sons. That's what should give you awe today. What should leave you in awe today is the same God that appears to Abraham under the oaks of Mamre, appears 2,000 years later, carrying a different kind of tree. And that God has a tree on his back. And that tree is not all of the ways that he's disappointed you. That tree is all of the ways you've disappointed him. And that God, that God reveals himself most clearly to us, not under the trees of Mamre, but on the hill of Calvary. And that God's name is Jesus. And Jesus is a God that works on his timeline, not yours. He has the pen, not you. He writes the story, not you. And what we get every single day of our lives is the privilege of being a sentence in God's story. Because that's all our lives are, is but a sentence. James said it's but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. You're a sentence in God's story. And that's the most privileged thing he could give you. Today, at just the right time, Paul says, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. See, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to relocate your wonder. Your wonder is not found in what you want, but in your worship. Worship reminds you 
that God is always more wonderful than your wants. So listen, let me leave you with this. You're probably like, Pastor, what do I do? All right, Pastor, you done yelled at me. You done got all in my face. You done, you done made me say, ouch. Now what do I do now? Like, 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 just you don't leave me now? Two things you can do. Look at verse 15. You can admit the laugh and you can own the laugh. Look at verse 15. It says, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But the Lord said, yes, you did, girl. Stop lying. <laughs> right? I love the Lord. The Lord's like, yes, you did. Come on. Don't play me. I'm the Lord. <laughs> Family, are you willing today? Listen, are you willing today to admit the laugh? Are you willing to admit the laugh? Sarah tried to deny it until the Lord shut her down. But will you admit that you look at your life and you hear preachers like me and you think to yourself, you just don't know me. You just don't know what I'm going through and you laugh. Will you admit it? Will you admit that you're laughing right now? Will you admit the laugh? Somebody in here is laughing right now. Will you admit that? Because if you do, you will you'll be admitting that you laugh to keep from crying. You laugh to keep your sanity. But ultimately, you laugh because you've lost your wonder for God. That's why you laugh. And even though Sarah backed away, she ultimately owned it. Because when she finally gave birth to that son of promise that the Lord gave her, that the Lord told her about in this text, you know what she named him? Isaac. And you know what Isaac means? Laughter. She admitted the laugh, and then she owned it. Today, admit and own the laugh. Because on the, other, on the other end of that laugh, there's a whole new life that God wants to give birth to in you. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for this word that you've given me and you've given us to prepare our hearts to break through the wall of disappointment and limitation and to see you on the other end of that wall waiting for us saying, I saw your laugh, but I haven't forgotten you. Father, I pray that somebody in here today goes home with a renewed hope. They might have walked in here today in a state where they lost their wonder for you. They've lost their joy. They've lost their excitement about being yours. But may you show them today that the greatest thing life could ever give them is the privilege of belonging to a God that nothing is too wonderful for. Jesus, may you get all the glory out of this message. We pray this in, his, in your name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kenny. It was a good and encouraging and powerful message. We needed it, and I needed it. So now, as we do every week, we're into a time of response.